So we are in uh, chapter 7 of Revelation. If you have your Bibles, you can turn there. Uh, We're doing a thematic study. And um, I'm going to step on a few toes here. Um, Give me a little bit of grace. um, Challenge you just a little bit. One of the reasons why I'm doing a thematic study is growing up in the church, and those of you who did, you heard kind of a lot of sermons that were just, thus saith the Lord, right? The, The Bible says. I'll give you an example. I worked over 10 years with college students, and so this is one of our favorite discussions. Um, and uh, they'll ask me about tattoos in the Bible, okay? And so just think for a second, how many of you heard the Bible says no tattoos? Okay, more of you than I know. You grew up in, and it is in Leviticus chapter 19, it does say that. And uh, in Leviticus chapter 19, it also says uh, how we're supposed to treat the sojourner. Uh, it also says certain things we can and cannot eat, things like with blood in it, which was never really a temptation for me, personally. Um, and, and so you, we have the discussion, how do, you, how do you know which Old Testament you know, laws apply today? And so we have that discussion. It's not, that's for another, another Bible study. But um, I grew up, it just the, the answer was the Bible says. The Bible says. When we say something that the Bible says, and maybe it's more of a cultural interpretation instead of a biblical interpretation, what we do is we confuse young people because then they say, well, if this isn't true, what? Then maybe some of this other stuff isn't true as well. And so as I'm going through Revelation, there's just things that, I'll be honest with you, I grew up in the church and, and the, you know, in Revelation, the Bible says this will happen, this will happen, this will happen. And um, those are interpretations. Um, I have a, one commentary just for this series, just one commentary, very simply written, but all, all it has is the four or five different views. The major views in Revelation, it just each shares, well, the people who think this happened in the past say this, the people that say it happens in the future say this, the people that says this is allegory say this, and the people who says this is... You know, and you read all four of them. And you know what? Just so you know, they're all come from groups that are good Bible-teaching churches. And this Revelation chapter 7, for me, was one of those passages where I grew up hearing, this is what the Bible says. And then I go, not, I don't know. So I just want to challenge you a little ahead of time, okay, to listen a little bit. You can make your own decisions, um, and we'll keep to the gospel in this. Revelation chapter 7. Uh, after this, okay, here's where you get, this is why I get paid the big bucks and why I have a doctor before my name. After this, I think we're talking about chapter six, okay? <laughs> after this, I saw four angels standing at the four corners of the earth, holding back the four winds of the earth, that no wind might blow on earth or sea or against any tree. One interpretation is we're talking about the four horses, from chapter 6, and this is actually a prequel. Uh, other people would say that this is he's starting kind of the story over again, retelling it one more time. Uh, so actually, I'm joking with the after this. But um, remember, chapter 6 ended with who can stand. Chapter 7 is answering that question. Okay? So here we have the four angels being held at bay uh, who have the authority to destroy. Verse 2. Then I saw another angel... Uh, 
ascending from the rising of the sun with the seal of the living God, and he called with a loud voice, so the four angels who had been given power to harm the earth and sea, saying, do not harm the earth and the sea or the trees until I have sealed the servants of our God on their foreheads. And I heard the number of the sealed, 144,000 sealed from every tribe of the sons of Israel. 12,000 from the tribe of Judah were sealed, 12,000 from Reuben, 12,000 from the tribe of Gab, uh, Gad, 12,000 from the tribe of Asher, 12,000 from the tribe of Nepali, 12,000 from the tribe of Manasseh, 12,000 from the tribe of Simeon, 12,000 from the tribe of Levi, 12,000 from the tribe of Ishkar, 12,000 from the tribe of Zebulah, 12,000 from the tribe of Joseph, 12,000 from the tribe of Benjamin were sealed. That was tough. That was tough. Uh, Sorry, um, tribes that I mispronounced. Verse 9. After this, I looked and behold a great multitude. Now, if you've been with us, you should hear something here. Because we encountered this uh, device earlier in Revelation. And I believe Rich pointed it out. First of all, he heard something and then he saw something else. What he heard was not exactly what he saw. Okay? Uh, the other example is he heard How did it go? He heard the lion of Judah. He saw the slain lamb. Okay, so here he hears the tribes and he sees, after this I looked and behold a great multitude that no one could number from every nation, from every tribe, and people and languages standing before the throne and before the lamb clothed in white robes with palm branches in their hands and crying out with a loud voice, salvation, belongs to our God who sits on the throne and to the Lamb. And all the angels were standing around the throne and around the elders and the four living creatures and they fell on their faces before the throne and worshipped God saying, Amen. Blessing and glory and wisdom and thanksgiving and honor and power and might be to our God forever and ever. Amen. Then one of the elders addressed me saying, who are these clothed in white robes? And from where have they come? I love John's answer here. Who are these people? Where do they come from? I said to him, sir, you know. And he said to me, these are the ones coming out of the great tribulation. They have washed their robes and made them white in the blood of the lamb. Therefore, They are before the throne of God and serve him day and night in his temple. And he who sits in the throne will shelter them with his presence. They shall hunger no more, neither thirst any more. The sun shall not strike them, nor the scorching heat. For the lamb in the midst of the throne will be their shepherd. And he will guide them to springs of living water. And God will wipe away every tear from their eye. What a beautiful, beautiful passage. And many scholars disagree on its meaning. At least where it goes in our, in our charts, right, that I'm not giving you. And so let's just pick up four major ideas uh, from this passage. And the first is this. What we see here is the church sealed. The church sealed. This is the major emphasis 
of this chapter, there's these four angels that are being held back, that are bringing destruction uh, in this tribulation period. And he says, wait, uh, before you do that, okay, I need to seal, mark, if you will, God's people so we don't get them confused, okay? And it's just real simple here. Let's just make sure we mark the sheep from the goats. Beautiful picture, really. God is, is, is pointing out, marking his people. So there's a holding back. There's a pause before the releasing of the four horsemen so that God can mark, so God's mark can be placed. So let's talk about the seal. It's described here as the seal of the living God. Verse 2, what is it? First of all, the seal, we're told later, is the name of God the Father and God the Son. Chapter 12, verse 1, and the, and the great sign appeared in heaven, a woman clothed with the sun, the moon, excuse me, am I in the wrong chapter? Hold on, let me double check that. Uh, 14, yes, thank you. I knew it didn't sound good. Then I looked and behold, on Mount Zion stood the Lamb, and with him the 144,000, we've already seen, who had his name and his father's name written on their foreheads. Okay, there's the seal. Um, that's what it is. It's the name of Jesus, God the Father, Yahweh. I don't know exactly what it's going to read, but that's what it is. It's the name of the Father. And the second, the seal is a sign of ownership. Now, in those days, okay, it's a little bit of, I think John is kind of referring to a little bit of, of slave uh, type of language. that You'd mark those that, you know, belong to your household. And so here's a mark. We are, and Paul uses this term all, all the time, bondservant of God. And so we are, we are his bondservants. We are marked. We belong to the household of God. It, it it's a declaration of ownership. I own this one. Okay, this one's mine. Now, there's another part of what this seal means, and it's simply what we live for. Now, let me just kind of take a moment here and give you an illustration. Um, and you can, you can practice this this week. In fact, I would encourage you to. Uh, take a really big Sharpie, black Sharpie, okay? And on your forehead, I really, really, and write a huge J on your forehead. Just big, as big as you can, just for some of you, you got a lot of extra room. Just a big, big J. And then on the back of your hand, go ahead and do the same. Okay? Now, I'm just telling you, you walk around with a big J on your forehead. You're going to be at Target in the checkout line. And the gal's going to go, uh, you, got, you got a little something. What, what? Did you go to a club or something? Right? Sorry, that's a term. Mostly they put marks on your hands at clubs, so you wouldn't know that. But it, people are going to see that. They're going to notice it. Here's one way how I know that. We were playing a game in youth group my first time being a youth pastor, and we had a game night. And I took one of those basketball hoops, you know, that you can suction to the back of your, your wall. And we were playing a game, and I had the kids put it on their forehead. And so as an example, I did it. I was sticking there, and I was given the rules with this thing sticking on my forehead. That hickey lasted about a week. 
And we had a prayer meeting a couple nights later at the church, and the pastor says, anybody, you know, come up here and pray? And I started getting up, and he said, no, Dave, I, I just can't take you seriously with that thing on your head. He wouldn't let me pray. People are going to notice that. If you put that on the back of, say, if you're right-handed, you put that on the back of your right hand, how many times are you going to see that during the day? You see, what we're doing here is we are marking ownership, but it's a form of what do you identify with? Who do people identify that you're with? Now, later is going to come the mark of the beast. And I know that you guys, we have all sorts of theories that it's going to be a computer chip in the back back of your hand and your forehead. By the way, this one, just so you know, if you want to irritate me, put this one on Facebook. The Bible says we're going to have chips in the back of our hand and forehead. No, it doesn't. does not say that. It says that you'll have to have a mark. Okay? Now, most of us that grew up in, in certain conservative churches believe that's a literal mark. That's great. But if also, then is this mark literal too? Or is this figurative? There's all sorts of questions. So don't say the Bible says. There's a mark. And here's the difference between the marks. Do you identify with the Antichrist and his way of doing things? Or do you identify with the real Christ and his way of doing things? Whose kingdom do you identify with? Here's the thing. I mean, I watched the movies growing up, and we were always taught, I mean, people are like, oh, I don't want to take the mark. I don't. Look, the people that are taking the mark are going, yes, that, I am with that group. Okay? Some of you still do it. I, Al walked in with his Oregon duck hat in this morning. He took it off, but, right? Nobody forced him to wear that. Right? He identifies with that. Sorry. But he does. Right? And so, it's an identification thing. People are, so here, look, whose kingdom do you most identify with? That's really the question here. And so the seal is part of that identification. The name of the Father, the sign of ownership, what we live for. And so it says here that we're being protected. Love that. Love the idea that's God protecting us. My question is, what is he protecting us from? Okay, I mean, it sounds great. Um, but as we, as we come here, the, the 144,000 or the multitude, however you look at that, they're coming, what, out of the Great Tribulation. What's the main way people are coming out of the Great Tribulation in Revelation? Martyrdom. That's the biggest way they're coming out. And so you go, wait a second, uh, they're not being protected from the Great Tribulation, verse 14, these are the ones coming out. Look at verse 16. They shall hunger no more, neither thirst any more. The sun shall not strike them, nor the scorching. They weren't being protected from that, were they? That's no more. The tears are being wiped away. It's not emotional pain. Those are being wiped away. So what are they being protected? I mean, that's a, it's a great, if you look at the passage, it just sounds wonderful. They're being protected. Wait, no, they're not. Not from the things that you and I think of. So what are they being protected from? I want to go back to our prayer seminar because I think the answer is simply this. Deliver us from the evil one. They're being protected from this anti-kingdom and being swayed by it. 
They're not going to give their identity to the Antichrist kingdom. They are not going to be captured by the false teaching. They're sealed. They're protected. This world may inflict pain upon us. It may inflict martyrdom. It may inflict broken relationships and hardships and health issues. But if you are sealed by the Holy Spirit, nothing can separate you from the love of God. That's the promise of Revelation chapter 7. Remember, we're talking about these churches and and they're reading this going, man, this, this great tribulation is coming. And John says, don't worry God's got you covered, literally, with a seal. You'll get through this. Beautiful, beautiful picture. So the first thing, who can stand? The church sealed. Second, the church militant. The church militant. Um, What we have here is highly debated. And let me just, you can just look at it. Some people say the 144,000, this is what I grew up with, the 144,000 represents a revival that will happen uh, the Jewish nation during the tribulation. And I, that's exciting. You know, the rapture, church happens, and, and Jews go, oh, no, we missed it, and they get saved during the tribulation. That's what I grew up with, and, and, and that's what the Bible said. Okay? But then you have, this, you have this phrase here, heard and say, and I have, my belief is, and you can disagree with me here, but my belief is that this 12th, this 144,000 is a figurative rep- representation of what we have in verse 9, which is every tribe and every nation that is saved. Now, I heard one sermon this week as I was researching. I'm trying to go, okay, Dave, you know, you know go back and, and listen to somebody on the other side. And, and he stated, he said, he believed that in, during the tribulation would be the greatest revival of all history. And I went, oh, that goes against everything I ever learned about the tribulation. Worst time on the earth. Greatest revival. Um, wouldn't things get better? It's just, it's kind of hard. Um, and so I think what we have is just all believers of all time that are represented in verse 9. And it's a mirror of this, what's being said. The other thing that's interesting, and I confess to Rich this morning, I missed it. Uh, I teach Old Testament, which is terrible. Um, but John messes up the tribes here. Uh, John messes up the tribes of Israel. And you go, wait a second, uh, John, you should know this. And so some, he's doing something, and just so you know, the tribe of Dan is not mentioned. Uh, they don't appear here. Uh, the tribe of Levi is not usually mentioned uh, in, the, in the tribal groups because they, they don't have a land distribution. And so you start to see we got two people missing, so now we have to have two people back in. And for those of you just, this is other than if this were a test question on my exam, you would get it right, and I don't even do this to my students. Twelve kids, right? They come out of Egypt. As they're in Egypt, Jacob says to Joseph, your sons that were born here are mine. They go into the 12 tribes. So now we actually have 14, okay? Joseph actually doesn't get a land inheritance as his two sons divide it. So now we're down to 13, and Levi doesn't get a land inheritance. We're back to 12. That's how we get the 12 tribes. Interesting in here, Joseph is mentioned in this group. 
and one of his sons is, and the other son isn't. So, I mean, John either really messed this up, inspired by the Holy Spirit growing up as a good Jewish boy, or he's trying to tell us something. And I'm just telling you, I think he's trying to tell us something, but I'm not sure what it is. Dan was the seat of Baal worship. They were the capital of the northern kingdom. It makes sense to me why they are kicked out. Uh, Manasseh is the other group that's left out. They were part of the northern kingdom. Uh, A lot of, uh, of false worship happening there too, but it happened in other tribes. But I think these two are, are for some reason pointed out as being this, this group of people who are false witnesses. And we go back to the churches in, in uh, the seven churches and remember we had this group of the Nicolaitans who were a part of this uh, Baal worship and these different things. And so he is, he is referring to this group of, of these type of people. You know, and Rich said, we, we like to talk through the sermon sometimes in the morning, or I like to talk through it. He, he, he is forced to listen. And um, it's scary that one of the 12 is not mentioned. I mean, it should kind of grab us there. Wait a minute, where's Dan? Not present. Okay, so we, we have to kind of grab that. So anyway, uh, uh, I think it's interesting, you know, kind of the nerd Bible part of me, sorry. What do we have here? I think what we have in this 12,000, 12 tribes is completeness. It's wholeness. And, and there's this perfect number. It's a, it's, a, it's a gathering of the tribes. It's a reference to the counting in Numbers, uh, chapter 1 and, and, and a few other chapters, where the tribes are numbered and they're placed in a certain order. Uh, and the order that they're placed is around the tabernacle, and they're placed there numerically, in a military form to protect one another. Basically what happened is the tribe is exiting, ex, exiting, great word, right? Um, crossing the Red Sea and they're going out in the desert and they're attacked and they're attacked from behind. And who's in the back? The older folks and the children. And God says, you guys need to have some military ranks here and march in a way that makes sense. So he puts them in a military order so that we're protecting everybody. And so here is a picture of what I think is all people of all time, in this military order. Why? Because we are a military. We're God's kingdom. We have a job to do. So I think what we have here is an army. And I think that's what we're supposed to see. Now, here's another misinterpretation that I grew up with. Um, My wife and I uh, had the privilege of traveling to uh, the Holy Lands. Uh, While we were in seminary, my dad took us with his church and... Um, you know, it's one of those trips. To me, it was a once-in-a-lifetime trip. You know, my dad paid for it, and, and my wife and I were there. My, my mom's watching our kids, and, and uh, we would go somewhere. And my wife said, you know, we were, we were seminary students. We, did, we didn't have two nickels, you know, at the time. And my wife goes, man, should we, should we get this, you know? Should we buy this? And here was, you know, here's the irresponsible person in me. The, you know, I was not the money manager, obviously. And I would say, well, we'll never be here again, Right? When are we ever going to be here again? And so, you know, we spent more money. And, and, and that was my phrase. We would just go through, I mean, God, we'll never be here again. We'll never be here again. And one day, we were up on Megiddo, Armageddon, the mountain. And we're looking out at the battlefield of Revelation. And I turned to my wife and I said, we will be here again. 
That was my interpretation. Here's the funny thing is we have this army and we have a battlefield. In Revelation, we never fight. Jesus fights. Look at the whole army. Go get them, Lord. So it's David and Goliath. It's only, there's, only one, there's only one military guy out there. And so, I don't know if we'll be there again or not, but you get, you get my point, right? There's Jesus, there, we are an army, but don't worry. You know, I've thought that before. So maybe I should take up fencing, you know, so I'm ready for revelation. No. He fights the, he fights the battle. But we have a, a, a church militant here pictured. Third, we have a church worshiping. And here's, I just, chapter 9 through the end of the chapter, we have this great worship, which is actually one of the major themes in Revelation. We keep having these worship songs burst out in what's happening. And here's a few things about this worship chorus that's going on here. First of all, verse 9, we worship in diversity. A great multitude that no one could number from every nation, from all tribes and people and language, standing before the throne and before the lamb, uh, before the lamb, clothed in white robes, with palm branches in their hands, and crying out with a loud voice, salvation. They're just, they're, they're cheering, they're worshiping, they're singing and shouting, and man, it's, it is just a diverse group of people. And I'm just, I just feel like some people in churches are going to go, man, I've never been around so many people of different colors. It's, this is the kingdom of God. It is multi-ethnic. That's a beautiful thing. Second, they're worshiping in truth. Salvation belongs to our God who sits on the throne in the Lamb. Amen? Is that truth? Doesn't matter what you think. The angels respond to amen. Talk about truth. Right? The people in white throats, salvation belongs to our God, and the angels respond, amen. That's amazing. I mean, if you can't amen it, don't worry. God's got us covered. The angels respond. Man, that, that is truth right there. And worship should be in truth. Third, worshiping God with the angels. Man, that is, I mean, come on. Can you imagine? Salvation belongs to our God. The angels join in with you. Amen. Wow. Now, David, tell me if I got this right. Now, we're worshiping in chorus now, are we not? Is that correct? We have a worshiping chorus here. Okay, I don't know. Music illiterate people like me just happens, I guess, right? The musical people get it. We're worshiping God and God, there's this echo and man, maybe they're even doing parts. I don't know. Let's not get crazy here. Beautiful picture of worship. And here's the thing, folks. When we worship in diversity, when we worship in truth, the heavens give us an Amen. Worship is such a part of the declaration of who God is. It's actually, it's just a response. It just naturally comes out. And look, I know so often, especially men, they go, well, you know what, Dave? I'm just, I'm not that expressive. 
Really? Because I've seen some of you at football games. You can be expressive. Then you go, you know, Dave, it's just hard for me. I just, I, I have trouble staying awake at church. I was watching golf as I do, and several weeks back, Phil Mickelson, 52 years old, I think, he wins a major. And I don't know if you guys saw the picture, but he's walking down the 18th hole, and there is just a myriad of people behind him. Golf on a good day is four hours. That was probably closer to six. And none of those guys looked tired. And they were walking. It's amazing when we're really interested. You go, oh, no, that's different, Dave. They were up and standing. Really? How about a movie theater? Look, we respond to what gets us. What gets us excited. And if it's not Jesus, if it's not his kingdom, if it's not the fact that salvation belongs to our God, then what is it? It's a worshiping church. And finally, let me just point this out. This is a little more Bible nerd stuff, and then I'll move on. Uh, notice verse 12, the chorus, amen. Uh, there's seven things here. Blessing, glory, wisdom, thanksgiving, honor, power, and might. Slightly different than the, the seven that's in 512. He changes it just a little bit, but it's a recurring chorus here. Finally, the church redeemed. Salvation comes from our God. And here, here's what happened. Here's what happens. The believer is pure. There's this beautiful picture in Revelations of these right robes, contrasted to some of the robes that were made in the different cities, in the churches, but we have this white robe uh, representing purity. And uh, also, it's an honor, okay? You know, if you, I love, I try to get this with my students. They're, they're funny. They hardly ever get it. You have to really egg them on. Um, when you're talking about Joseph and the, the coat of many colors, and I'll, I'll, I'll say to the kids, this is, what does it mean if your dad gives you a coat of many colors? He has bad taste. <laughs> right? they're, they're ranchers, right? They're, they're, they're sheep herders. That's their, they they're, you know, they work the land, and dad gives the kid a coat of many colors. What's it mean? He's not working the farm. You get the nice suit, you're working in the office. You're a manager. Okay, and those of you who have younger siblings or older siblings, just think of your response Youngest brother gets the management position. How do you feel about that? Okay, it, it, now, here's, here's the picture in Revelation. What color are the robes? White. These are executive positions. These are honored positions. And so it, it represents purity, it represents honor, that the people of God coming out of the tribulation have. It's a beautiful picture here. So first of all, they're pure. And look at verse 14. This, um, you can skip right over this. You can kind of miss it. He says, um, let me just read it. The question comes out, uh, who are these clothed in the white robes? Sir, you know. And, uh, and then the answer, I said to him, sir, you know. And he said to me, these are the ones coming out of the great tribulation. Listen. They have washed their robes 
and made them white in the blood of the Lamb. I said, wait a second. That doesn't sound right to me gospel-wise. You mean they washed them. You mean Jesus washed them. That's not what he says. They washed them. So you have to kind of wrestle through this a little bit, Bible nerds. Um, Look, in salvation, God does the work. Okay? For it is by grace you have been saved through faith and this not of yourselves. God does the work. Uh, we believe, we respond in belief, in faith. Okay, if we confess with our mouth Jesus is Lord and believe in our heart that God raised him from the dead, we'll say. So there's, there's a belief aspect. And after that, we identify over and over again with Jesus. I'm, I'm going to wash these in blood, right? You don't, come on folks, right? You don't wash something in blood and get it out white, right? But that's the picture. Like when I identify with Christ, when I go all in with Christ, what comes out is purity and honor. It's a beautiful picture here. Look, salvation, obviously, you know, please hear me, work of God, but it's one you respond to. It's one that you live in. It's one that you identify with. We also see here that the believer is protected. And we see victory through sacrifice, right? The, the whole idea of the sealing is that the believer is protected. Uh, deliver us from the evil one. That they're not going to be led astray. But that victory comes through sacrifice. And one of the beautiful pictures of chapter 7 is that we see the believer in God's presence. And I've said before, and I'm thoroughly convinced, one of the major themes of Scripture is, is returning to the presence of God. In Genesis chapter 1, we have... We have um, Adam and Eve living, uh, walking in the cool of the garden with, with God. They are living in God's presence. They are cast out because of their sin from God's presence. The temple represents in the Old Testament God's presence showing up and God's people trying to, like all through the story of the Bible is, how do we get back into Eden? How do we get back into God's presence? How do we get to that place where we're created to live in fellowship with God? And here... Man, they're in the, you know, and here's the kid growing up in Christian schools that hated choir going, oh man, this does not sound like heaven to me. I don't want to sit around the throne for all eternity singing songs. And I know some of you want to be in that choir. I want to be on God's golf team. Something different, anything. But here's, here's the point. They're, where are they? They're in the temple Represents the, they are living eternally in the presence of God. That's the statement that's being made here. It's a beautiful picture. And then finally, the, believers, the believer is praising God. And beautiful worship song here at the end, and, and we have this beautiful picture of wiping away every tear. Here's the application. What do we do with this, Dave, and how do we apply this to our life? And first of all, I would just say this, not on your notes, but if you're not a follower of Jesus, if, if you haven't bowed your knee to him, here, here it is, just again, we, we were created in the image of God. God gave us just one rule, don't eat from the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. And, and we see in the, in the picture of, of the creation account, and, and those of you who've heard this again, just listen and, and just, just think about it and be ready to share it with somebody else, right? We, we have this creation account, it was good, it was good, it was good, it was good. God declares it good. Here's the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. And basically God is saying, you can either accept my definition of good or choose to define it on your own. And humanity 
has continually chosen to define good and evil on their own. And what we end up with is evil and separation from God the Father. And so they're cast out of the garden, and the whole story, God says, I'm going to send somebody who's going to crush the head of the serpent, and that serpent is going to strike the heel, give a death blow to that person. And we see that Jesus came and lived the life that we couldn't live. He lived the life that Israel couldn't live, and he died for your sins and for mine. And we are given a choice now. There's a new tree that we look at, and it's the cross. And we get to choose if we're going to follow that or not. What are we going to identify with? The serpent or the new tree where Jesus died for you and me. And I would just say, if you're here today and not given your life to that's the first thing you need to do. So that you might be counted with every tribe and every nation. That you might encounter again one day the presence of God. Now, here's three other applications, just something to grab a hold of. God has sealed you. If you are a follower of Jesus, he has sealed you. Therefore, put him first. There's the point. Who, who are you going to identify? Who are you going to live for? Who are you going to serve? Put God first. And second, what we see in chapter 7 is that we should be praising him. That should be the response that comes out. Just naturally. We should be praising God. You know, over the years, I mean, just the different debates that happen in churches, and in our church over time, just worship music and this way and that way and how it should be done. And you know what's great? It's like, man, take the one thing that is supposed to point people to Jesus, one of the things that's supposed to point people to Jesus, and we argue about it. Well, we're worshiping the same person. We just like to do it different. Just worship the person. Just keep praising God. Man, in diversity and in truth. And I, Revelation. There's some scary stuff in here. We will get to the dragon eventually, Chris. We're going to get there. I forget when now. I think it's next week. I don't know. There's scary stuff in there. But, but here, here's, the, here's what, you've been sealed. If you're a follower of Jesus, you've been sealed. You've been delivered from the evil one. And so there is a certain amount of peace that we can have. You know, we talk about Amalu, and, and I, you know, I can't wait to share at her, her, her service. And um, I had the privilege of going to uh, Cote d'Ivoire with Amalu uh, many years ago, and Russ, and Fishbacks and Tapperts and, and, and uh, Larry and, and Philomena, we were there and, and uh, Rod sent us out in some groups. Those of you who know Rod, okay. Rod sends us out in some groups with Journey Corps kids who had been in Cote d'Ivoire for like six weeks or something like that. And they hadn't been there that long. And there are French interpreters. And I'm in a group with Micah Fishback high school kid, Amalu, myself, and the kid who learned the least amount of French of the Journey Corps. And we got lost. And I wasn't happy about it. Because I'm like going, I know Micah can outrun me. I 
think I can outrun Amalu, but those of you who know, I wasn't even sure about that. But in Africa, seniority is, it's honored. And Amalu had this beautiful gray, white hair. And we are still alive because people stopped to help Amalu. They would have let Mike and I starve to death out there. And I was ready to already ditch the Journey, journey Corps kids, so it would have just been Mike and I. But this motorcycle pulled up, and I'm like, oh no, here it comes. We're getting robbed right now. And he didn't even look at us. But he made sure Amalu got home safe. You know, we read these stories, and we go, man, this is so scary. It's like walking through Africa with Amalu. You got Jesus on your arm. You have all the protection you need. Stop fearing what's to come. And look forward to being reunited with the presence of God. Let's pray. Lord, thank you for this morning. Uh, thank you for a time of worship. Thank you for a time of digging into your word. We praise you and honor you. Um, God, we want your name to be lifted up in our church and our lives. May we be kingdom-minded. God, may your will be done. We pray, for, we pray for your provisions in our life, God. We pray that you would give us the daily bread that we need. God, we, we do pray that you would forgive us our sins. Uh, individually and corporately, God, that we would uh, experience the washing of the blood. And God, we do pray that you would lead us not into temptation, and that you would deliver us from the evil one. And we, as we look at Revelation, we, we see that this prayer is answered in an in a incredible way. And so, God, help us to rest in your deliverance, in your redemption of those who call Jesus their king. And we pray this in his name. Amen.